today, I want to talk about this. Does anybody know what this is a picture of? The Bible and glasses and a pen and grass and a hand. Two hands, thank you. And a notepad, well done. But the main thing is the Bible. And the Bible is actually full of verses about itself. One of them says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. How powerful is the Word of God? It can do all of those things. Psalm 119 tells us, Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So God's Word should direct us, should light the way for us. In Joshua 1, 7 to 8, it says this, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that, it, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And 1 Timothy, this is the one that um, is a really well-known verse when it comes to scriptures, says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every God, good word. So this word that we have here, that we call the Bible, is really, really powerful. It should actually make a difference to us. But sometimes we get the Bible and the only time that we actually read it is when someone says, can we all turn to page whatever and read together? Or sometimes we don't even bring it anywhere with us. We just listen to someone talk to us about it. So we have no relevance to us and the Bible. It's always through other people. And other times we may get the Bible, we may open it up and we read it, but we do this. What do we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews are Gentiles alike for all are under sin. Cool, I've done my reading for the day. I'm going to move on. And it doesn't actually make any difference. Hebrews 5 tells us this. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elemental truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, those who by contrast have trained themselves to dis distinguish good from evil. And Acts 17.11 says this, Now the, whoever they are, Jews, were more noble characters than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. I want us to be a church that does these two things. I want us to be a church where every single person doesn't just come and sit and listen and go home and never actually look at the Word of God themselves. Because if you're doing that, all you're doing is being immature and drinking milk. And I do not want immature people. I don't want to be immature. 
I don't want you to be immature. I want each one of us to actually be mature that we ourselves can distinguish between good and evil. We don't always need to go to someone else. We can, and it's helpful, and it helps us to talk to other people, but that we ourselves can actually distinguish between good and evil because we've actually are learning and growing ourselves. I want us to be like these Jews whose name I can't say, who actually didn't just hear from Paul, and Paul was a great teacher. He didn't just hear from Paul and say, oh, good, Paul said it, it must be true. This verse in Acts tells us, They received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. How great would it be if every one of us actually examined the scriptures ourselves to see what was true? That means that every one of us can distinguish between good and evil. And that's what God's desire is. God's desire is for each one of you to know for yourself what the Bible says. And to hear from good people and hopefully have some teaching that helps you. But you yourself need to be mature enough to know what the scripture says. To feel confident in the things of God. Not just because Tanya said it or Matt said it or someone I read said it or I watched something on YouTube or whatever. But because you yourself are confident enough to know what the Bible says and what's going on. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to look at a very straightforward way of actually studying the Bible. Now, for those of you who have studied the Bible and know it well and study it well, these things I hope are straightforward to you. But I hope what will happen is you'll go, oh, I'm so glad that this is what we're learning today because I'm so excited about the things that I learned from the Bible. I want other people to be able to do the same. And so this is, you don't need to go to Bible college to do these things. All you need is one of these. And you don't even need this one. This is just my little one that I keep in my bag. All you need to do these three things is a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, come and talk to me because I've got plenty on my bookshelf. I can give you one or I can buy you one. Because not having one of these ourselves is really, really dangerous. In the Old Testament time, it was Moses that you heard from. And there was bits and pieces that were written down. And then the Ten Commandments were written down. And people would study the Ten Commandments. But in the Jewish religion, the sad thing is, people read what people write about the Torah more than they read the Torah themselves. And we don't want to be those people. We don't want to be the people that say, someone told me that the Bible says this. We want to be the people that say, I know for myself that the Bible says this. And I know that this is true, not just because I have great teaching. And teaching is fantastic. I actually spent a lot of my time during the week teaching. So I'm not saying, you know, don't listen to teachers. I'm saying listen to great teaching, but make sure you can know for yourself what is in this book. So that's what I want to do today. So there's three things. And I really wish that these three things were in a different order because it would make it so much easier to remember. But... These are the three things to go through when you're actually studying the Bible. Now, it doesn't mean that every time you read the Bible, you have to actually study it. There are times when it's good just to read the Bible and just read it and soak it in and spend some time praying and that's enough. But if you never study the Bible, that's when you can't know for yourself what the Bible is really saying. 
Now, as I said, it would be really great if it was context application principle because then I could say it's cap. But it's not because you have to have the principle before you have the application. So it is CPA, which if Kelly was here, I could say it's Kelly because Kelly's a CPA, a chartered practicing accountant. Anyway, that might mean nothing to you, but context, principle, application, those are the three things we're going to look at. Because no matter what verse you look at, what passage you look at, these are the three things that you need to keep in mind if you actually want to study the Bible and study it well. Okay, so what are they about? These are the dictionary definitions of these three things, okay? So context, the circumstances that form the setting for an event, statement or idea and in terms of which can be fully understood. So what's surrounding it? What it's, what's it about? So even today you could say to someone, oh, we sang a song and this is what the, a line of the song was about. But knowing what comes before it and comes after it and what's surrounding it actually helps that song become that line and that song become much more meaningful than just the line itself. And then we have the principle. It's a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of, of belief or behaviour or a change of reasoning. Just what's the main point? Okay, so we've got something and what's the main point of that? And then out of that main point, you've got application. And the dictionary definition of application is the action of putting something into operation. Just do it. So context, principle, application. And there's some questions that we can ask when it comes to studying the Bible around these things. And so for context, the questions to ask is, well, what comes before the passage? And what comes after the passage? Who wrote it or said it? Who was it written to and why was it written? For the principle, what is the main point of the passage? And does it line up with what we know about the character of God? And then application. What are you going to do about it? What's the Holy Spirit saying? So it's making sense to people? If you have questions, I'm quite happy for questions. Yeah? Cool. So what we're going to do is look at a verse and do these three things. Now, I've chosen this verse for a number of reasons. One is, you know how there's a verse that you always hear and always gets quoted to you? This is the verse that growing up was a big verse in my family. Because when my mum and dad got married, they decided, you know what, we should have a verse to base our life on. And you know what verse they chose? I know, it's pretty obvious given the story. Matthew 6.33. But this is also a fantastic verse because... You can look at it as it is and get stuff out of it. Because you can look at this verse and say, okay, what are the two main things I need to know about this verse? Or what's his kingdom about? And what's his righteousness about? Those are the two things that stick out to me. There can be other things that stick out to you. But what, what's the main, what's the things that I need to think a bit more about? And so his kingdom. Well, his kingdom is where God is king and where he rules. That's a really simple definition. And his righteousness, well, that's doing things God's right way. So we can look at this verse in isolation and go, you know what? I really need to seek first where God rules and his righteousness, his right way of doing things. And all these things will be given to me as well. 
But we can take this verse out of context and say, you know what? All these things will be given to me as well. Boy, if I just follow God, I will get everything I want. Everything I want will be given to me if I just follow God's way. And hopefully we all know that that's actually not true. And hopefully we all know that this is actually not what this verse is saying. But you can look at this verse and say that's what it's on about. But so the first thing that we need to do is look at the context. Where does this verse sit in the rest of everything else? Okay, so what comes before it and what comes after it? So in my Bible, you'll see where my finger is, is where the verse is. Yeah? And so all you do to know what comes before it is to read verses before it and read some verses after it. So these are some verses before and after, and it says this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendour was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe, clothe you, you of little faith? See, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And when we read what comes before and what comes afterwards, we see that the seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you is in stark contrast to what the pagans are doing. So the pagans are running after the things of the world. They're so concerned about where my next paycheck's coming from. What am I going to buy? What car am I going to buy? What holiday am I going on? All these things. And God's saying, just focus on what I want you to focus on and I'll take care of the rest. And we see that it's not what we want but it's what we actually need. So we start here in Matthew 36. And the second thing we want to know is who actually was it writing to or who actually said it? Now, not in this Bible, but in other Bibles, it'd be really, really clear because it'd be in red. Does anybody know what red means when you read something in red? It means it's Jesus saying it. Um, there's a guy called Tony Campolo, who's a sociologist and a, and a Christian, and, um, and he wrote a book called The Red Letters. And he pretty much said, if all you did was spend your life studying what Jesus said, what's in the red letters, how much better would the world be and how much more full on would Christianity be? Because what Jesus said, if we just followed that, that would take a lifetime to actually know and learn and whatever. But in my Bible, it's not read. It's just part of the, the rest of it. So we know it's Jesus speaking. But to find out more of the context, we need to look what happens before too. And so we see, you might not be able to read it, but it says treasures in heaven up there. 
And then the next page talks about fasting and prayer and giving to the needy and loving your enemy and an eye for an eye and oaths and divorce and adultery and murder and the fulfillment of the law. And then we get to the Beatitudes and we find by moving backwards who Jesus is talking to and in what setting he's talking to. So does anybody know where the, if it says here, at the beginning of chapter 5, now when he saw the crowd, that being Jesus, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So this is what people call the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 6.33 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we can go, ah, we know it's Jesus talking. And not only do we know it's Jesus talking, but we know who he's talking to. Who is he talking to? His disciples. There may have been other people listening, because it does say when he saw the crowd. So there is a crowd around, but he goes to a mountainside. His disciples come and he's actually teaching his disciples. So that what, and what we know also is he's talking to people who want to follow Jesus. Which is really important because it means that we can't say to someone who doesn't want to follow Jesus that this applies to you because they're not following Jesus. Is that making sense? And so that's one way that we can find out the context of who is saying it and who they're they're saying it to by actually just moving back through where the verse is till we find that point. And if your Bible was read, it was really easy to find because everything was read and then you get to the beginning of chapter 5 and it's in black and you're like, oh, that's some information I should read. So it doesn't take a lot. It just takes some flicking and some skim reading. So what has come before and after the passage? Okay, so we know that Jesus was teaching on a range of topics. Yeah, so this was really what's called like the Sermon on the Mount, like a big full-on teaching session with the disciples. And this is just one part of that bigger thing so who wrote it or who said it Jesus who was it written to it was for his disciples and why was it written now this is a bit of a hard one because we're looking at a gospel the reason it's written you can take two ways you can say well why did Matthew write it or why did Jesus say it does that make sense And why Matthew wrote it, the reason Matthew wrote the book of Matthew was because he wanted the Jewish people to know that Jesus was the Messiah. But to know that, you've got to actually look at the beginning of Matthew and it tells you like why the book was written. But in this case, it doesn't really add much to what we're looking at to know why Jesus said it. So you can just leave that question. So you've got the context. You sort of understand now how this verse fits into the greater verses around it. So the next thing to do is to work out the principle. So what is the main point of the passage that we've read? Or in this case, we've read a verse. And for the people who's written to and then to you. And this is a really important point when you're actually studying the Bible. You can't just make the Bible say something to you if it never said it to the people it was saying to it at the time. Did I say that correctly? So Jesus was talking to his disciples And so what the disciples thought should be the starting point of what you think. Because Jesus is saying something there and we want to know what was he saying back there so that we make sure that we're not misinterpreting what it's being said. So if you go, okay, well, what do the people think this verse was about? And then what do I think it's about? And make sure that there's not a major difference between those two things. Does that make sense? 
And once you've done that, once you've decided what you think the main point is, another great question to ask to make sure you're on the right track is, does it line up with what I know about the character of God? You see, the great thing about the Bible is that if it has a principle back in Matthew, that principle should be seen elsewhere in the Bible. It may not be exactly seen like word for word, but it shouldn't be, wow, this is the only time this is ever, this idea is ever mentioned. Is that making sense? So knowing what the main point is and saying, boy, is this part of what the character of God is like, what I know about God himself? Then cool, I must be on the right track. If this is so left field, then you might need to do some more thinking. You may be correct, but if it doesn't line up with what the character of God is, it's probably not the point that God's making. Is everybody with me? So these are some principles that I come up with because principles, there can be many principles that you come up with with one verse. So these are just some few, a few that I put up there. We are to seek the things of God as a priority over the things of the world. So that's a principle that you can come out of this verse. Another one might be my focus should be God's focus. Another one could be if I go after the things of God, I will have everything I need. And need is a very big underlining word there. So these are some principles and there's many, many more. Like you could all come up with a principle yourself that is true and right knowing the context of the verse from this one verse, if that makes sense. And so once we've got the principle, the next thing is, does anybody remember the third thing? Application. And this is in my mind the most important thing. Because there are great people who study the Word of God and study it better than any one of us in this room that I can think of, that know the Greek and the Hebrew back to front, that study and study and study, but it makes no difference to how they live. And if we study the Word of God and it makes no difference how we live, there's no point in studying it at all. The reason we study is to actually follow Jesus. And this is why application is so important. If you stop and you go, cool, now I know this verse and I've got a principle from it and there's no application, you're really missing the whole point of being a disciple and being a follower. So application is all about what are you going to do about it? What is the Holy Spirit saying? And this is the really personal part because what God is saying to you and what God is saying to me could be very different. It may be the same. We might be, boy, well, how I want to use this verse and what I need to do about it and what you need to do about it marries up and we should like get together and do this together. But it can be really different because it really depends on what God is wanting to speak to you. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in really, really clearly. Now, the Holy Spirit is all through this. The Holy Spirit's job is to actually be our counsellor to actually teach us and show us the things of God. So when we're working out the principles and we're working out the context, the Holy Spirit is all over that too. But when it comes to the application, this is where we sit and we ask and we go, you know what, now that I know that my focus should be God's focus, how am I doing with that and what should I do about it? And then do it. And that is how you can study the Bible. Now, Matthew 6.33, the context gave us a tiny bit of information, but it didn't give us a whole lot of new information about the verse. So I want to go through it one more time using a verse where knowing the context or not knowing the context can make a massive, massive difference to how you look at the verse. 
Okay? So we're going to look at this verse. Philippians 4.13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now we can look at this verse and say, boy, I can do anything that I want to do. When I first saw Sister Act number two, I was short at the movies, I came out and went, I'd love to sing like that. Well, I can do all things, everything through Christ who gives me strength, so I should be able to be the best singer I want to be. Well, I'm not. I'm not a very good singer at all. Or I should be able to run a marathon. Now, I probably could if I actually put some effort in. I should be able to lift up the tallest person or the, you know, the biggest car. So if we look at this verse as itself, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, we actually can have a really wrong perspective of what this verse is talking about. And so we can actually make a principle out of it and make an application out of it that's going to actually leave us feeling really, really deflated. Because we go, God's going to give me all the strength I need. I can do anything that I want to do. And then we go and do that thing and we find out that we actually can't do anything we want to. And then we go, what's the point? This is all hopeless. And it can really be deflating and it can actually rock our faith all because we look at this verse and we actually read it wrongly. And there's lots of people that do. There's lots of athletes and there's lots of people that say, I can do everything with Christ who gives me strength and thinks it's all about them and them achieving stuff. When this verse is not about that. So let's look at the context and find out what it's about. So what comes before the passage and what comes after the passage? So you look at verse 13, just there. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So let's read before and it says, How I praise the Lord for you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on most, almost nothing and with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my presence difficulty. Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we can see that the context is actually not about physical strength. It's about being content. It's about no matter what is before me, because of Christ, I can actually see it as okay. And that puts a completely different picture on this verse. And that's the annoying thing about verses. Because when Paul wrote it, there was no verses. Like someone else came along and put chapters and verses in. And that's to help us so that we can say, let's all turn to this chapter and look at this verse and whatnot. Because they're big books if you have to read the whole thing. But Paul never made, wanted it to be broken down. He actually wanted the whole thing to be read and understood. So you see how even just looking at the verses beforehand helps that verse make much more sense and much more true than if we just took that verse by itself and ran with it. So I said Paul, and I know that Paul wrote Philippians, but if you didn't know who wrote it, how would you find out? 
the beginning of the book, the great thing that Paul did for us is he normally wrote something like, I, Paul, the Apostle of Christ, write to you whatever. Now, in some books, you don't know who wrote it. But Paul is really good at the beginning of the books telling us he wrote it. So if you turn to the beginning of Philippians, you'll see Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, Jesus. And he even tells us who he wrote it to. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So again, we know he's talking to Christians. He's talking to a church at Philippi or churches, home churches at Philippi. We don't know if there's one place or, you know, many gatherings. But just by looking at the very beginning of the book, we know who wrote it, Paul, and we know who he wrote it to. But why did he write it? Now, what you can do is read all of Philippians. And if you read all of Philippians, when you get to chapter 4, that will give you an understanding of where Paul is going with it all. But if you don't have time to do that and you don't want to read all of Philippians because then you'll be, you know, if you do that for every book, there's some books that are much, much longer than Philippians and you get into trouble. If you have a study Bible or some Bibles, this one doesn't, but there are some Bibles that have things like this. This is at the beginning of my study Bible. And it tells me the date, the author and the place of writing. It tells me the purpose of writing. It tells me the recipients. So just in reading this, I can find out why Paul wrote it. And the main reason Paul wrote the whole book was, if we look down here, the purpose of the book was to thank the Philippians for their gift they had sent him upon learning of his detention at Rome. So just by reading that sentence, we know two things. It's all about saying thank you for a gift that they gave him. And Paul is in prison. And how much more meaning does it give when you know it's someone in prison saying, I have learned to be content in everything. And it's someone who has said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and he's in prison. That gives a lot more weight and context to what this verse is about. Because if it was about being strong and God will let me do everything, Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who give me strength, so I'm going to leave this prison and I'm going to continue my journey. But that's not what the verse meant. And Paul in prison is saying, even though I'm in prison, I can do everything that I need to do, everything that God has put me for, because he is the one that gives me the strength I need. So the principle, and I pretty much just said what the principle was. But here's some principles that I came up with. God's strength enables me to face every circumstance, whether good or bad, as I try to live out his purposes. God strengthens me, not so that I could get what I want, but so I'll be satisfied in him alone. No matter what I'm facing, Christ can be enough. And as I said, principles, there can be many more principles that you can come up with the verse. These are just three, looking at the context and what's going on that I came up with because threes are nice. Two seems too little, four is too many, so I went with three. And so again, the question is, what do we do about it? And that's where you sit. You look at your life and you go, God, what are you saying to me? Now that I know that this verse is about being content with you, that you are enough, that you can give me everything that I need, how do I apply that to my situation here and now? What do I do about it? And then we do it. So context, principle, application. None of those things took anything but a Bible. And you can do that with a longer passage. I just cho chose verses because if I chose a passage, we'd have to read a lot more of the, like it would just be like, 
be too big. You can do that with a passage. You can do that with a story. You can do that with any book of the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. What verse am I looking at? What comes before it? What comes after it? And sometimes there's nothing before it and after it that adds anything to it. So it's not always that there's things before it and afterwards that's helpful. But if we don't look, we won't know. And once we've got the context, once we know the point, what's the principle? What's the main point? And again, what's the main point to those people? And what's the main point to me? And does it line up with the character of God? If we don't ask that question, does it line up with what I know about God? You can be swayed by thinking it's saying something when it actually isn't. Because if it doesn't fit with the rest of the Bible, you're probably not on the right track. And then application, and that's where the best part comes in. Because as I said before, if we do just study the Word of God, if we know what it says and do not do it, what's the point? And Jesus talks about parables that say that. James tells us that if we're hearers of the Word and not doers of the Word, there's no point at all. My absolute desire is for each one of you to actually know this book in the best way that you possibly can. And the only way to do that is to actually read it yourself. You can hear 101 sermons. You can listen to worship music. But there is something that happens with your spirit and God's spirit when you actually open it yourself, read it, think about it, and study it yourself. And that is the whole purpose of being a disciple. It's not relying on what other people say, but being like the Jews, whose name I can't say, that actually listened and were so excited and eager to hear the teaching and then go back and study the scriptures for yourself to know for yourself what God is actually saying and what God is actually talking about. Now, there is a whole lot of things that you can have that can help you. There's books like these books here give you like the Greek and Hebrew words that you can look up and you can look up what every word is in the Greek and the Hebrew and that gives you more understanding of what's going on. And there's these two books are really cool books. You can get audio books and you get written books on how to read the Bible book by book. And it takes you through every single book of the Bible and it tells you about who it was written for and why it was written and in the Old Testament what type of writing it was and so how you read and study that word to be different because of the type it is. These are commentaries. You can read other people's thoughts to get the main point. You can get a computer program that does all this kind of stuff all in one. But you don't need it. All you need is the Holy Spirit and the Bible and actually the willingness to do some thinking. The willingness to be able to say, I want to know for myself what the Bible says. I don't want to just rely on good teaching and hopefully we get good teaching. And we want to learn from each other and we want to learn from one another. But if all you're doing is relying on other people, that is a really, really dangerous. Even if the person is the best, most fantastic teacher in the world who is so full of the Holy Spirit, it is really, really dangerous to rely on the teachings of other people. We need to look at this book ourselves and we need to feel confident enough to I can say, I actually know what God is saying to me. I actually know what this book says. So I can be confident that I'm living a life that's pleasing to God, not because someone else told me to, but because I know it for myself. So that is really my heart's desire for each one of you, is to actually want to know this book. And hopefully these three simple things, what comes before, what comes after, these things can be helpful in giving you 
some practical at workings of how to make sure when we look at the Bible, we actually study it and we study it not just with our good ideas, but a bit of an understanding of how to actually do that. If you have any questions, I'm so happy to talk to you about this or sit down and show you again. My heart's desire is that each one of you go, ah, I can actually do that myself and I want to do it and I want to learn and I want to know what the Bible says. And so what I actually made up is little bookmarks. And these bookmarks have this in small things. I saw Melissa taking pictures and I'm like, oh, I could give you one of these. I'm going to just leave them at the front desk, pick the one up, put it in your Bible. And then when you go, oh, I want to actually know what this verse is talking about. I want to actually spend some time studying. I don't want to just read and move on. Pick this up and you can go, ah, context. What comes before the passage and what comes after it? Who wrote it and said it? And as I said, sometimes you might just want to do the first question. What's the context? And then move on. And you go, you know what? Who wrote it? I'm going to leave that for another time. I don't think that's important. Or I looked at it and it made no difference. So I'm not going to spend much time. And then principle. What's the main point? And again, does it line up with what I know about God? And then do not forget application. Because if all we do are hearers of the word and studies of the word and not actually put it into action, we are not disciples. We are just learned Pharisees who knew the Bible really, really well, but didn't actually apply it to themselves and didn't make a difference in their life. And that God has a lot to say in the Bible all the way to Revelations about people who actually just know his word and think, oh, I'm so good, I know the word, and it makes no difference to your life. There's no point. No point of being a disciple. There's no, well, you're not a disciple if it doesn't actually make a difference to your life. So context, principle, application. Think of Cal first. God, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, your word tells us that it is a double-edged sword, that it pierces the hearts. And God, we want to be people whose hearts are pierced for you. We want to be people that follow you and know you, God. And so I really do pray, Lord, for each person that calls Catalyst home, Lord, that we will not be afraid of opening your word and finding out for ourselves what you're saying, God. That we won't just rely on good teaching and we won't just rely on other people, God, but we will know for ourselves what you are saying. That we will be encouraged and challenged and excited about finding out what your word has to say. So God, lead us and guide us and by your Holy Spirit, just give us a love for your word and give us your wisdom as we look at it. Amen.